If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live on Four Legs Podcast and on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. You can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just, just fucking call me, why don't you? Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. Randy Sobel here, John Farr over there. And John, we're doing something a little bit different today. This is uh, sort of, look, we're in uh, social distancing quarantine uh, zone here and we have some time to do some unique things. And I think today, I kind of brought it up to you yesterday, like we talk a lot on this show about the shows and sometimes you know we hit the shows that we've been to and sometimes we don't and we talk about just the history of the band and we try to keep it to that as much as possible because that's you know talking about the music is really what's important to us and also talking about other people's stories but today i think is a really good opportunity this week with the the new album coming out and everything to just sort of kind of and we've told some stories before but just basically tell our story of how we fell in love with the band yeah i mean welcome to giga week hey everybody right exactly yeah this should be fun you know we uh you know give people a chance to peek behind the curtain a little bit yeah i i i told i think when we first started like the first episode matt and i shared you know a very early synopsis of what our Pearl Jam fandom, how it came to be and how we ended up, how we ended up. But it, it wasn't really that in depth. And I think as time goes by, you know, people kind of dip in and out, then they forget. And, you know, uh, we've obviously gotten tons of new listeners. So not everybody's going to remember either of our stories. So this is a good opportunity. And, you know, with, all due respect to uh, Johnny Firecloud, who did a phenomenal job on his part two and part one of his uh, of his Pearl Jam fan life. If you haven't checked that out, check that out. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that's something that that we thought of that we wanted to do. And uh, you know, oh, yeah, his uh, is his is way more eloquent than mine is going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, ours is going to be very. Yeah. You know, he's he he's like the fine wine, and we're going to be you know we're going to be cracking open a six pack of of Pabst or something like that. So. Uh, it'll be, it'll be much different, but it'll, it'll be fun. I, I think it'll be interesting to dissect and I have a bunch of things on my mind that, uh, I want to, you know, ask you and I'm sure vice versa. And, um, I think the best way to do it is for, uh, you to start and just kind of, you know, you have an earlier timeline than I do. You were with the band, you know, from very early nineties. So, I, but first thing that I'm curious about, and this is, you know, beyond Pearl Jam, because it kind of starts somewhere else. It doesn't, you know, especially because you didn't grow up as a child with Pearl Jam. Um, so what are your earliest memories of music and getting into it and like how you discovered 
you know, the, the earliest bands that you can remember and, you know, whether or not your parents were an influence on that or, or siblings, um, just talk about like when you realized that, you know, I love music and this is my life. Yeah. Um, that's a tough question, man. I mean, I'm, I was born in 1978. Um, so I was 13 in 1991 which was kind of the perfect age to be uh, at that time when all of this stuff kind of broke. Like, I remember being in, like, grade school and everyone was into Def Leppard and Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and shit like that. Aerosmith, I remember, was like, 89, 90. But I never really liked that stuff. Like, it never, I never got into that. Uh, but then, like, in, in 91, like, I had an older cousin who was into like alternative music, like Dinosaur Jr., uh, a lot of 80s stuff, you know, early stuff like that, and some punk rock stuff too. Like I remember he had a Sex Pistols tape, um, you know, it was like cassettes. And so I, I'm, they were a big influence on me, my, my two older cousins. But it didn't really hit for me until 91 when Nirvana and Pearl Jam broke. Cause like we didn't have MTV at home. Like my parents blocked MTV. Like my parents are super, uh, religious conservative. Like they, my dad listens to country music. My mom listens to Christian music. So there was none, there was no, nothing like that in the house to grow up with. It was, it was a bunch of crap. So I was basically on my own. So when, when this stuff broke, like I, I remember you'd have to be at school. Like I would, I would take my lunch break. We had a little, area down below the cafeteria that had like a little pool table and a little TV and like the, um, a couple of me and my friends would go down there and watch like MTV in the middle of the day and eat lunch. And they would show like almost live on comedy central, which was like a Seattle sketch comedy show. And we just watch MTV and you would just wait for the videos that you like to come on. And I remember there was the, the radio station in Atlanta was Power Power 99 that played, like, you know, rock music. I remember they went off the air for a couple of weeks and came back as 99X, which is like, now, oh, we're the alternative station now. And so they started playing all the, all the Seattle stuff and all the alternative stuff that was coming out. So that's kind of where it started for me. So do you remember the exact moment that was the first time you heard Pearl Jam or saw them on TV? Yeah, I I don't. It would have had to have probably been on the on the radio first. It probably would have been a live or even flow on the radio, and it was it was immediately like, hmm, like this is different. And being thirteen years old, like you're searching for something that's yours, you know, like I. I didn't want to listen to the same thing that my parents listened to. I didn't want to listen to the same thing that everyone else was listening to. I wanted something that was mine. And to be that age where you're just like, you're a sponge, you're like soaking up everything that you can get your hands on. And like, I think for Christmas 1991, I asked for the, the 10 CD and a CD player. And I got, a boom box. It was a, uh, not a really big one, but it, I think it was, it's probably the same one everyone had. It had like these two little removable speakers 
with like a two inch or like a two foot cord on them. So you could like take them and move them around and had a CD player and a tape player. And so 10 was the very first CD that I got, uh, Christmas 91. And I remember having like, like putting it on my shelf and like, all right, this is going to be my collection, you know, and I had one and then five and then 10. Um, cause yeah, you, you couldn't get vinyl back then. Um, but yeah, I, I listened to it like every day I would, I would get home from school and just, and just play it and listen to the 99X and listen for anything I could get my, get my hands on. I, I used to keep a cassette in the player and listen to the radio because you could record cassette for, we would record the radio on the cassette. So anytime I, I heard a song that I liked, I would run over, hit record. So I'd have mixtapes of stuff that was off the radio. I'm sure a bunch of people did that too. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the prime age of doing that, and especially, yeah. you know, with the rock and roll scene I mean, being every, so... every night I would do that. Wow. Yeah. I, it's so much, e- like, that's our downloading music for that generation, and I, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, in 95 or 96, I would be doing that sort of thing because I didn't have the money yeah. to buy CDs, but, you know, really shortly after that, you have Napster and you have your music downloading programs, and, um... Yeah, that was, I, that wasn't even in our thoughts back then, but I remember, like, no. you would, you would call the radio station... And just beg them to play it, like, you know, play, play alive, play alive, play, play Jeremy, play Jeremy. Like you would just, right. you would call and request all the time. Yeah. And then you got to be lucky enough to just be listening when yeah. they do happen to play it. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's you know, I, I think a lot of people have a very similar beginning as you do, and and it's really yeah. it's interesting. You were kind of you're really in there from the start and not a lot of people yeah, I remember can getting, say that. Getting the 10 CD and like opening it up and like you fold it out into this kind of mini poster with mm-hmm. like the, yeah. the picture of them on one side and then all the lyrics are really small. Like on the other side, so you're trying to like decipher his handwriting and figure out what they're saying. Like there would be, it would be some words and then dots and then some more words. So like you'd be like, oh man, every Every word is like a dot, so you try to figure out like what he was saying in between. Yeah, I spent hours looking at that thing. What was the first song that you absolutely you said like this is my favorite song from Pearl Jam? Was it Alive or probably? You know, it's anything off a of ten, like because they. I mean, it was overplayed. I mean, I liked Jeremy and I liked Alive, but once I got the album, it was black. Like that was that was the one that hit immediately. Like black and and Alive were probably the two that I listened to the most. That's really interesting for a thirteen year old because that's it, it's so tough. I, and I had ten when I was thirteen as well. And the ones that I related to the most were Even Flow, Jeremy Alive, and Porch. And Black was just, to me at the time, not registering as much because it was one of the slower songs. It was a little bit more emotional, and I kind of I mm-hmm. distanced myself from that. So it's that's interesting that you said 13 years old, and, you, and Black is one of the ones oh, yeah. very mature yeah. for a 13-year-old. Yeah. So right away, um, your, your, your tastes oh, are very mature. Definitely. And I immediately wanted everything by this band. Like I would, 
I would go anytime I was out with my parents, I'd be like, you know, can we go to media play? Can we go to the CD store? Like I, you would look for any, like I got all the import singles. I used to have the whole collection of all the import single CDs with all the B sides. I wanted every compilation. Like when that sweet relief compilation came out with crazy Mary, that was a big deal. But like anything I would, I would go get my hands on. Like, I don't think I had the, I, I never saw that Japanese version of 10 back in the day that had, I got a feeling, but if I had, like, I would have, I would have spent the $40 on it or whatever. Like I, you would ask, like I had the, the little skinny CD cases, you know, the minute it was, in yeah. this was before they re-released them. Like the identical, not expensive version. You had to go pay like twelve ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine to get one or two songs. Hmm. And like, I would go, when I was at school, like on my free period, I would go to the library and look up magazine articles, like from Rolling Stone or whatever, like on microfilm or whatever they were using back in 91, 92, Ah, microfilm. <laughs> so I would go through and like just search and look, go through all these music magazines and print out any articles about Pearl Jam. So I had probably, you know, an inch stack of of papers I, I kept them for a long time of just all these articles printed out from from those early days and i would read anything i would get my hands on so time kind of elapses and you're getting a little bit older now and uh you know versus comes out and obviously versus is just oh, yeah, as big of a deal i remember as, oh it was it was huge man like i remember i got off of school and i went to you know i grew up in rome georgia which is not like a hotbed of culture, um, Northwest Georgia. So like the fact that it was, and the, like I, you skip over to like the whole Seattle thing was so big. Like it was everyone at school was into that when it came out. Like if you weren't were wearing flannel and jeans, like if it, if it got to us in Rome, Georgia, then you knew that it was big. Right. But uh, yeah, like I remember the, the day that versus came out, after school, I drove to Backstage Discount Music, which was a, the local CD store. Bought the, like, it was a different, like, it had the little, God, it's hard to explain, but it was the different CD case. It wasn't like a jewel case, but it, like, it flipped open. Like, you had to pinch the sides and then flip it open. It was different, and that was mm. cool. Yeah, okay. I, I, I remember, I like, I, like, I put it in my car, and, like, Go comes on. You're just like, holy shit. Like this is I'm I still remember the feeling of sitting in my car and listening to it for the first time. First of all, you were driving when you were fifteen. That's ridiculous to me because I wasn't driving until I was seventeen. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, that's the South. That's you know right, different right. down there. And like watching the getting it to see the unplugged. Like I didn't have MTV at home, so I didn't see it. But they would show clips of it, like you know, on the regular rotation. So you'd see that and you'd be like, God damn, dude, like this band is something like this is different from anything that we've ever heard before. Right. Being like that, being that age, you know, I wasn't, wasn't into Mother Love Bone, like didn't know about the whole, all the bands that led up to it. But like Ed being such an influence on me at that age, like between, between Ed, Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Henry Rollins, like those were the three people that like basically my personality is was based on like that was so those i tried to be like a combination of those three people like when i was a teenager that that 
that he was part of like molding me into like who I am. Like you would read this stuff and you'd be like, God, like it just, it like you just wanted to, not that you wanted to be him, but you wanted to like live up to the standard, you know? Right. Yeah. He wasn't, and he was very adamant in interviews talking about, you know, just being about the music and being about the art and uh, and being about his causes. And, and you never would hear anything about, you know, him partying with celebrities or, you know, doing things yeah. that the 80s rockers like Motley Crue and Def Leppard and, and all of those other yeah. uh, Van Halen, all those other bands would do that wasn't. Pearl Jam at all and uh there's uh, there's a a quick story like I went to I had read it might have been in one of those Rolling Stone articles maybe the one that Cameron Crowe did where they had there was a story that there were some hikers up in the northwest somewhere I forget exactly where but they were singing I forget if it was Black or Jeremy or something and like Ed popped he was out there popped out of the, the woods and like told them to stop like you know, I, I went on a on a hiking trip um, out to Colorado when I was probably 14 or 15. And, you know, I'm not the world's greatest athlete even back then. Like, I'm, I'm not a huge outdoors person. But so I was probably lagging behind the group the whole time, I remember. But I think that entire trip, we would hike a few hours a day. I, I sang the whole 10 album front to back over and over again, just hoping that, Eddie would hear me and come out and tell me to stop. Like that was the goal. <laughs> and I would literally go through song by song as it was on the album, sing all, cause I had all the words memorized, sing it through, then repeat. And that was what I did during that whole hike for a week in Colorado. But he never did. He never came out and, and told me to stop. So I wasn't that lucky. No, no, he was, he was preoccupied with making s'mores and, uh, you know, and starting the uh, Into the Wild soundtrack, you know. It was a little before that. Speaking <laughs> of soundtracks, man, you, I don't want to skip over singles, man, like that. No, yeah, I was, I was actually going to bring it came up. Out, oh, my God, like that was huge getting to hear, you know, two, not just one, but two new Pearl Jam songs. The sound, the sound Garden song on there is amazing. Getting to hear Mother Love Bone, the Smashing Pumpkins song on there is really good. You know, Screaming Trees, Alice in Chains, like that thing. I, I listened to the single soundtrack over and over and over again. Like that thing was was really influential. It's a collection of the era, and it's really I I, I think it's Generation X's. Yeah, anthem album almost, and like you know? and Paul Westerberg hearing hearing Paul Westerberg and then being like, yeah. "Ooh, the replacements," and and you know I, w- I would read everything about like Pearl Jam was the gateway for me into a lot of punk rock and into mm-hmm. Fugazi and stuff like that stuff that I got into later. Like they were kind of the gateway drug that that got me into all this other music, like you know, like Dinosaur Junior and like American Music Club and like all this other stuff that I ended up liking a lot more back then because like you know we'll get into it but by by the late 90s you know i was in a punk rock band and it was punk rock all the time and like i kind of i checked out for a couple of years you know when when the albums would come out i would i would pop back in and be like okay you know i'd I'd go on like a week or two streak where i'd listen to everything again and get back into it and then i just put it on the shelf and, and go back to listening to punk rock or whatever you know 
Yeah, I think everybody, and and I had a very similar experience with the band as well that I'm going to probably talk about, but I think everybody had that time period where it was just, there was a lull, and, you know, it's almost like comfort food where you keep coming back and, you know, you know it's going to be good, you know it's going to hit your heart in a very special place, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think at this point, we got to talk about Atlanta. And this was the very first thing that you came on the show to do. Atlanta 94, yeah, uh, man. head back into the archives. This is episode number 10. This is John's very first appearance on the show. I believe it was the first appearance of any patron and we were already in episode 10 and, and you were very, uh, you know, communicative with Matt and I very early on. <laughs> that's a nice And, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, with me, you, you communicated better with me. With Matt, it was it was more, uh, you know, yeah, you you know what you do. Uh, yeah. I should the, go back and whole... I should go back and find those emails and uh, and post them. There's some. What about the one that you said? Uh, this is not a rush podcast or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. You can't. There... You can't play. You can't. Uh, bash them for not playing perfect every single time, mm-hmm. something like that. Right, right. It, the, those were pretty funny, and and yes, Matt got a little heated up, but it was funny. Uh, but you know, like that, I, I remember a lot of your stories from that show, and obviously, you know, this is very early on. I, I think that episode helped us because we didn't do a '90s show before that one. It helped us really get the idea of how to cover shows and eras that we weren't a part of and what we were expecting when listening to things. So you're, you know, 16, 17 years old. This show is going on in your home state. You're 15. Okay. Uh, this show is going on in your home state and it's being broadcast on that 99 X radio station that you were talking yeah. about. Oh, it, was, it was a huge and deal. They, they promoted all it. They promoted the place, it for yeah. weeks. Like we're going to be broadcasting a live Pearl Jam show. Like that was something we looked forward to for a long time. You don't see that kind of stuff happen anymore, yeah. especially on yeah. public radio like that. The best that you can hope for is kind of like what Pearl Jam was supposed to do with the Apollo, mm-hmm. uh, a show where it's sponsored by Sirius and it's on a Sirius station. I've heard a lot of different bands do that to, to promote albums before on Sirius, but that that's the best that you can get. And even so, that's not under that band's umbrella necessarily. That's the serious radio umbrella. So this is, I mean, it goes down as easily a top 10 show of all time, but, you know, take us back, you know, a little bit of a synopsis of what it was like to, to talk about it in that episode and some of the things that you just remember being mind blown by. Yeah. I mean, I remember it, it started late. Like it was, they was like, it's going to start at eight o'clock. And then it ended up being like 8.45 or even maybe later than that, I remember. But, you know, had the cassettes ready, like in the boom box. And you had to be like, you had to be on the ball. Like you had to be watching so you could flip like exactly and not miss or try to flip like in between songs so you wouldn't miss like a song. I'd be so anxious during that. (laughs) It was the whole thing. But yeah, man, like, but it was, it was a major event, you know, and you're, it, it you memorized like all the stage banter, everything he said. Like I could probably go through it 
today and like if I listening to it I could probably say everything along with him you know because you just you listen to it over and over again like just even that it was it was something new like not necessarily you had new songs but it was it was just something else to put in the rotation you know and yeah I mean if I'd like I said if I'd been a, a born a few years earlier I might have been there that would have been amazing um but yeah like that time period they were you just anything you could get your hands on man like any newspaper article any magazine article any compilation cd anything like i was i mean it, the concert probably went till after midnight i think and i finally turned the thing over and like god i you know i still have those cassettes you know 25 26 years later that i mean that's pretty incredible i i yeah i don't think a lot of there are some Pearl Jam fans from that era that have kept a lot of things. I think I, I spoke with somebody a couple of days ago and said, yeah, I got a, I got a box of just random boots somewhere. Let me see what I got for you. And, you know, they, they keep everything. But I don't have a single cassette to my name. I have some mixes hmm. that I made when I was in high school. But, like, everything because it's so digital. Yeah, now, dude, so like easy. I had – I had – God, let me think. I had Pearl Jam Volume 1. I had Pearl Jam Volume Two, Volume Three, Volume like it went on and on, and there was like, like Self Pollution Radio would be like Volume Five Part One, Volume Five Part Two, like mm. I had it all cataloged. As far as like this one has B sides, and this one is all acoustic, and this one is just them talking on the radio, like the rock line stuff, and like the thing from San Diego that I, I was about to say played on the mm-hmm. San Diego episode, like. Mm-hmm. Anything mentioned, I would go run over and record. We've been lucky enough to have a couple of those moments that we've played on this show because you've kept the cassettes throughout the years. So, like, you know, thank you for your dedication doing that. And, you know, (laughs) I I don't think that before we release that on our show, I don't, it's not on the internet anywhere. So, if you want to, right. The San Diego show would be the one to go back and listen to. It's Ed talking about the Ticketmaster stuff and how they're not affiliated with them. And, and it's, but it's good interview fodder. And also the, the Indio one you want to listen to too, because that's Ed saying why they canceled Mm -hmm. the show in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and basically calls Los Angeles an armpit. So yeah, that's all stuff that I had on cassette. Yeah. I mean, good on So then, like, if you, you, so if you get into Vitalogy, like, I remember, I distinctly remember when they premiered Tremor Christ on the radio and being like, we're going to play a new Pearl Jam song. We're going to play it at two, four, six, and you know, whatever. And hearing Tremor Christ was like, God, it's, again, it's such a different kind of song that's on verses or 10. You're like, God, this is, they just keep doing it. Like, they keep getting better and better. And they, you know, they released Vitalogy on vinyl two weeks early. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. I remember going and buying it and taking it home. And, you know, my, my parents had a record player in the house, you know, to listen to, like, we'd use it at, like, Christmas or whatever, listen to Andy Williams and all that, whatever shit was on. And I was like, hey, I got this record. Like, can I listen to it? And I remember mom would be like, why would you buy a record? Like, that is the what like why would you even do that like like she was like no take take that back to the store take that that's useless take it back so i i had to i had to take it back to the store exchange it 
so I I I went back, you know, years later I went back and got an original co- original copy of it. Um but yeah, like that was kind of the beginning for me. Like, you know, you'd look and you'd see it said, you know, Viva La Vinyl on the Spin the Black Circle thing, and you're like, Oh, like that that something clicked in my head at that time, like, oh, Pearl Jam likes vinyl, I like vinyl. Right. And once it's, you get into it then you yeah, it's a whole other rabbit hole you go down to. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll we'll get to you and your collector yeah. You know all of your collections that you have yeah, man. in a yeah. little while, but um, you know obviously, uh, Vitalogy, No Code, Yield Era, all very important stuff. And, and I know hearing, No Code like, is your favorite Vitalogy, album. So, oh yeah, it is. But at that time, Vitalogy was my favorite. Like before No Code came out, like every album that came out was my favorite. But like it starts out, you know, you you put it on, you hear Last Exit, and you're like, man, it's, it's so weird, and then it kicks in and just one after the other like last exit spin the black circle not for you tremor christ nothing man whipping like corduroy like holy shit and i even liked like the pry 2 and i'd have anita stuff from the beginning i never was one to like skip those like i was always into that stuff like i was into it as an art project because because they were like i was i was on board man and the stupid mop like i I would listen to the whole thing. Like I thought the sound collage thing was cool when I was 15, 16. I, I never like, you know, dismissed them. You know, you got to take that as a whole. With no code being your favorite album. Yeah. What, what was like the major thing that gravitated you towards it? Um, you know, in, in my tree, I believe you said it on the yeah, show, like yeah. in my tree, giving a flyer to your favorite songs, but what, you know what was Present. the one thing? I mean, hail, hail, hail! At the time, was the one that that was sure. my favorite one. I remember when they when they played on on Letterman recording that on the VHS, and we didn't even talk about that, like recording, holding up the the boombox to the TV to record them on Saturday Night Live, so I could have that on cassette. You know, anything. And once you got once I got the VCR, then it was like any time they were on TV, I'd hit record. Um, so all the all the all the Letterman stuff, all the Saturday Night Live, you know, I remember it was a big deal when they we, they got to play three songs on Saturday Night Live. I was like, oh, they played three songs and one of them's new. Nobody does that, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like by the time No Code came out, like I was into, I was getting in, like I was eighteen. I was into more. I'd gotten into more indie rock and like punk rock stuff. Like I was into Sunny Day Real Estate and Fugazi and Sebado and stuff by then. So I, my listening tastes were already kind of attuned to the weirder side of like alternative music and stuff like that. So it, it didn't sound as weird to me as it probably did to people who were listening to Bush and, you know, live and all the, the kind of like stuff that was on the radio at the time. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, just from the beginning you're like, they're, they're changing with me. Like I, every album hit me at just the right time, like. 10 to hit me at 13 and to be full of angst and you know mad at your parents and mad at the world and like what do you got for me to be mad at like just whatever it is like i'm i got all this angst i don't know what to do with it you know that was me and then being 16 when vitology came out you know 15 16 being angry and like fast like just wanting to thrash all the time but also like growing up a little bit and for no code to hit when i was 18 like that was the perfect time like it and Hail Hail, like, that was my favorite song before in my tree. But, like, even now, like, 
yeah, in my trees up there, number one, number two. But it, the rest of the songs probably won't won't be in my top ten. But as a whole, it just works so well. Like, and again, you would scour the liner notes, like every little hint of everything, and like it, part of it was recorded in Atlanta. Like they would always record it, so that was cool. Like, oh, they were they were close to me, you know. Just you you wanted to be as as close as possible to to what was going on. Sure. So speaking of yeah, and two, I remember. Sorry, I remember hearing, and again, I, I talked about Trimmer Christ. I remember when they debuted. I remember when they debuted "Who You Are" on 99X and sitting like that, and and just sitting in my car and listening to it, and the DJs talking about like, "Man, that's that's kind of a weird song. Like, what 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 is this? You know, and just like, oh, I, I loved it from the beginning. It's very rare. Like, you know, even I really wasn't there for No Code, but I. Yeah. Have I still have a hard time understanding why Who You Are was the number one single. I get it, and I get why they were doing it, but to me, I'm like, don't yeah, you want I mean, people in, to in listen to Hail, Hail? Makes sense, but yeah. Sure, yeah. it does make sense, but to me, yeah. I, I, like, I'm just like, I want to listen to Hail, Hail. I want to listen to Present Tense. I want to listen to, you guys got some really, really good stuff on that album. Not not to, to say Who You Are is not, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you could throw on there and, and gain that attraction. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, before, and we, we, we skipped over, we skipped, we skipped over self pollution radio too. Like that oh, was a yeah. big deal. Mm-hmm. That was another thing that I had three or four cassettes lined up and like, you talked to Mike Watt and like, I was, when that Mike Watt record came out, I was really into that. Like I'd gotten into the Minutemen by that point. And like, he played the descendants, like silly girl. I was like, Oh shit. Like they like the descendants. Like I like <laughs> the descendants. We should be friends. <laughs> and like they plays they played Zeke and like Slant Six and stuff that was on like Discord and and he was like man like it, like they really like this is real like they're not playing those crappy songs and like you it was kind of just like a party at their house like you would hear people in the background and there would be like there was phone messages oh, and going the like these messages. monologues yeah. and like Chris Novoselic came on and talked I remember that and like Mad Season played and like Mad Season was a big deal. Because it was like Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam together. Um, but yeah, like I had those, I still have those self pollution radio tapes too. Like I, I think I probably had fallen asleep because it went way long. Like I think I, I eventually fell asleep and missed like the last 30 minutes of it. So I had to go back and, and download it a couple of years later. But yeah, like, oh my God, because they were talking and like, it was like opinions and you, you really got a sense for like who they were as people like, Oh, you're getting, and like he came on and would talk to Jeff and like, Oh my God. Like I still remember listening to it. Just having my mind blown. Those are, you know, things really early on in the band that, that sort of made the band so accessible to their fans and, and developed the thirst for wanting more from yeah. Them, you know? Oh man, I think he he gave out he gave out his phone number at yeah. the end of it. Yeah, maybe. So I think I I remember calling the next day. I didn't even know what I was going to say. I was just like, I just have to call. <laughs> and it was like it was already disconnected. It was like one of those uh, yeah. things were like dun, dun, dun. the number you have reached has been disconnected. <laughs> you know, because I'm sure he got a hundred thousand phone calls. Yeah, he probably unplugged yeah. the phone before you know the minute yeah. he got home. So. He yeah. wouldn't be bothered by all of that. But um, let's get into uh, your first show. And we haven't talked about it on 
an episode before and we kind of have a plan to do it at some point in the future but atlanta 1998 this was the first show that you were at and it's um there there are a couple things that are pretty memorable from it but just being there and being at your first pearl jam show and this was the first one that you were at for a while and the only one that you've been to for a while i believe what um just go through that walk through that experience yeah, so that story really starts in the fall of 1997 when when I went to college. So going to Athens from Rome, Athens, Georgia, um, again, it was like a whole new world because like there's a million bands, there's people who are into the same music as you, there's record stores. It was like, holy shit. Like, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be, right? So fall of 97, I uh, go to start a band. I find a couple of guys, going to start a punk rock band. And started buying vinyl for real, like caught up on the stuff I was missing. Um, so getting in the punk rock band, the, the singer and guitar player was really into Metallica. And, like, I was into Pearl Jam. So that was our kind of thing that we had to, like, shed, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember we had a deal that he would sell all of his Metallica CDs. And I would sell all my Pearl Jam CDs. And we would we would break, right? Because we were punk, right? Because, you know, we're, we're too cool for that shit now. Right, right. This is right. So I remember going to Wuck Street Records in Athens, which is the famous store where the members of REM met and all that stuff. I, I remember taking all my Pearl Jam CDs, trading them in, and the guy behind the counter goes, oh, man, this is like your childhood. And I was like, yeah, you know, but, like, I, I'm I'm getting them on vinyl. Like, it's okay. So with that was the pact in the band that we would purge all that, like, non-punk rock from our lives so when they announced the the show in atlanta in 98 i was already like i was into lookout records and epitaph getting into like sst and all the kind of punk rock stuff really hardcore and so i remember when when they announced the show tickets going to sell so i'm like all right i'll just go like i haven't ever seen them before I'll just go see him, and then that'll be the end of it. Like, I'll be done, you know? So I remember I went to go line up at the grocery store at the Ticketmaster outlet on the morning of, and, like, there's a line out the store and out the side of the building. And, you know, you'd wait. It was 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning when the tickets finally went on sale. And there were so many people. I remember the the girl who was behind the counter you know, you're supposed to put in the order and then it shoots out the tickets from the little machine and they put them in the envelope and they give you the whole spiel about like, you know, don't leave these in the heat and all that stuff. And they give you your thing and you're, you're done. But I remember her just, she was constantly just hitting the thing to spit out tickets to get, cause there were so many people in line and this wasn't even in Atlanta. Like this is in Athens. So I'm sure that was not what she was supposed to be doing. It's probably against the Ticketmaster policy. But looking back, who cares? Fuck Ticketmaster. Right? <laughs> Seriously. But 
I remember I got I got four tickets because that was the maximum. Like I didn't have anybody to go with. I ended up selling them to a, a guy that I went to high school with, um, who I wasn't even really friends with. But I was just like, hey, I got these tickets because like they'd be like, how many one? I want four. Like, what's the maximum? Like, just in case, right? You sure. Know? So I so the the show comes the day of the show, and you know I don't know anything about posters or merch line or how many people are going to be there like it was it it was at what used to be called lakewood amphitheater which is kind of on the south side of atlanta so it's probably like an hour and a half drive for me so i'm driving from athens by myself and i'm like you know it'll be fine i'll get there you know it says says you know doors at seven o'clock show at eight o'clock so i'll get there around seven and it'll be fine so i get there and of course parking is a zoo like you have to, I remember it was like raining, it was muddy or something, so, or it had rained, so I had to park like 20 minutes away, and I end up missing all of Mud Honey, all of their set, which I was bummed about because I had read, like by this time, you know, and too, by this time you had, we had the internet, like I had, you know, we had dial up when I was in high school, so you would immediately like, ooh, Pearl Jam, so... You know, we knew Five Horizons, and you knew, like, the rumor pit. So anytime that that was a big thing, like, you would wait for the rumor pit. Like, oh, Pearl Jam was spotted in the studio. Like, you never know. <laughs> and they, would, they, they were really good at dropping those little hints and, like, stuff that was upcoming. And, and you would check Five Horizons, like, every day. Like, I would go in there and look to see if there was new news. So I knew that they would pick people for like I had lawn seats which is like it's a big outdoor amphitheater everybody has them if you live in a big city like yep. it's 15,000 seats and then there's like a lawn area a mile from the stage where it's just general admission and just sit out there shut the fuck up right you're, you're here be happy um so I had lawn seats so I had but I had read that Pearl Jam would watch for people who were really into the opening band and they would pull those people up to the front so like i i knew mud honey so i was like shit i'll get there for mud honey and like i'll fucking rock out to mud honey and they'll see me and they'll pull me down to the front but i didn't get a chance because like i was parking my car and like walking and like going through the whole security thing getting in and getting in the lawn so it was kind of a nightmare so i think i got there probably five minutes before they went on stage which i was lucky enough just for that and and yeah we'll get into the actual show like i don't want to spend a lot of time getting into the actual experience but it was oh it was great like even seeing them from that far away uh there was one moment in the show that i wish i had been close closer up for because it would have been a, a cool moment but we'll uh we'll save that for that episode but <laughs> so so like yeah after that i was like yeah you know i'll be done like i'm i don't i don't i'm not into them anymore like i I'm older now. Like that was that. That's the thing that I was into when I was younger. Like now I'm into. I'm getting getting into hardcore and like the band is getting more serious. Like we're going on these tours and like recording and making these re making this record. So that kind of took went came to the forefront in like ninety eight ninety nine. Like Yield came out. It was still a big deal. Like I, I had the CD. Like I liked Yield, but it was kind of like okay. Like listen to it a few times. Put it on the shelf. So then. Binaural comes out, like I referenced before, Binaural comes out, cool, you know, I ordered ordered the vinyl from the website, 
got the got the vinyl in, listened to it a few times, like went back, listened to Pearl Jam for a couple of weeks, then kind of put it on the shelf, went back to doing my thing. Riot Act comes out, same deal, like hadn't listened to them in forever. Oh, Pearl Jam's got a new record out. Like order the vinyl, listen to it a few times, put it on the shelf, you know, listen to Pearl Jam for a couple of weeks and then kind of fade out of it again and go back into whatever hardcore and stuff I was listening to, like Fugazi, whatever. Um, and then, so in 2003, I quit the band that I was in and so I, I missed the Atlanta 2000, Atlanta 2003 shows because I was in a band. I was in Athens. I was just too cool. Um, but after 2003, like, I quit the band I was in. So then, and I'm, you know, I'm 25 by this point, 25, 26. And I'm kind of like, okay, like, I can listen to whatever I want to. Like, I I don't have I don't have to impress anyone with what I'm listening to. Like, I my taste are, can be what they are, you know. So I kind of got back into a little bit then. That 2003 tour was a big deal too because even though I didn't go to the show, I was still checking, you know, still checking Five Horizons and looking at the bootlegs. Like you go to go to the record store and you'd see like all the live bootlegs and you'd like pick one. Like, man, which one has like the really cool songs on it? Like, because even then I was into the B-sides. Like I'd much rather listen to Leatherman and You than, and Happy When I'm Crying than like Do the Evolution and Given to Fly and, you know, Wish List. Right. Yeah. And like, I was always into like the weirder songs and the B sides and stuff like, give me those songs. So I would look at the, at the bootlegs and see which ones had the B sides. Like when that Mansfield experiment, like that was a big deal. Cause like, Oh, they're going to play all the songs. So like you had to get those CDs. Like I, I, I bought the, those at the store and like, I think I have one from, there's one of the Japanese ones that I have that had a really cool set list. I haven't looked at them in forever. And like the Seattle one from 2000, the last show where it was like, it was three CDs instead of two CDs. You're like, Oh man, that's cool. Right. It's like, you get that one. So like them releasing those shows was a big deal and getting me back into it too. Cause like, Oh man, there's like cool covers and they played like the rare songs and all oh, It's really cool. So I finally joined the 10 club in 2004. Five, I think where I was finally like okay like I'm into this and I I should have done it a long long time ago like I remember too oh, god I wish I still had it I hope my mom has it at her house in a box but there was a postcard that I got from the band around the no code era and it had the no code Polaroids on it and you flipped it over and it was Ed's handwriting talking about hey like you know join the fan club it's only ten dollars a year like we got we got this stuff coming out and we're doing this and this and this foundation like it's it's like handwritten it's probably printed but it looked yeah, like it was handwritten yeah and i i kept that thing for years like on my little bulletin board you know just to look at it yeah i wish i still had it but so i i never had joined the 10 club cuz i was like yeah you know by by the time i saw them i was like yeah you know i'll, I'll probably be done and like i don't need to do that and, like, the fan club singles was cool, but, like, you could get them, you know, fairly easily, like, the ones that came out. You know, I had had connections at the record store, so you could find them for pretty cheap. And so, but in 2005, I was like, all right, like, I'm going to, I'm going to get into this. Like, I, I want to see him again. I, you know, I want to start getting the records as they come out, so I'll, I'll join. And then they decide not to play anywhere close to me for the next 
seven years. <laughs> so we, we get skipped this would in 2006. This be a recurring theme. Skipped in 2008, skipped in 2009, skipped in 2010, skipped in 2011. I remember going and posting, um, I think it was probably 2011. I was like, can we change the... The, can we just instead of being the South, can we change our name to South America so they'll actually come play here? Because <laughs> um, it seemed like they were going everywhere else but here. So, yeah, you know, fast forward, you know, like you know, Avocado came out, it was okay. Like I wasn't into that as much. The same thing, I listened to it a few times and then shelved it. Um, but by you know, by two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven, I was I was all in like hardcore. By the time I was. I was back into listening to all the all the B sides and all the old stuff and the bootlegs and everything, and that's when I started the collection, like trying to find all the vinyl that I could, like, because you know you you'd see these people like, oh, I have the complete Christmas singles, like, ooh, I have the complete, you know, all the original albums, all the singles, like, ooh, I want I want to be one of those people. So I would start you know, start seeking stuff out. And when eBay started probably 2001, 2002, you start looking for stuff on eBay. Uh, God, I spent so much money on eBay. <laughs> um, yeah. But so 2012, they finally announced another Atlanta show and I've, I've skipped a bunch of stuff, but um, yeah, like that was, I was finally getting to see them again was just started all over again for me. And like, and getting like we, you know, we did that Charlotte show where I talked about getting to be on the rail for the first time. And like, that was a life changing experience for me, even at, you know, 30 or 35 years old. It kind of, it doesn't ever go away. It, it like, it, it's yeah, I mean, got it some hit me magic. at such the right age. Like, Right. The the band that you the your favorite band when you're thirteen is always gonna stick with you, I think. Yeah, in in some way, shape or form, you know, it, it, and again, like I mentioned before, it's some sort of comfort food and nostalgia that everybody, you know, wants some kind of warmth. I think. Uh sometimes when I think of myself and, you know, why I still watch professional wrestling nowadays is because well, that made me really happy when I was fourteen, fifteen years old, so it, should make yeah. me really happy now and and you know in some cases yeah. yes in some cases no but yeah I, I you absolutely feel that with music because music takes you back to a different age and to feel a different way and and even you know i'll get reminiscent sometimes i i, I was the a dj and the program producer my college radio station we'd get these random cds in and i would make a big deal of going through the whole stack of cds because i just wanted to listen and i wanted to criticize and i wanted to you know throw them in the garbage oh, yeah. if I, I had to i did that too this, yep i the, i reviewed so stuff. many cds for college radio yeah yeah and like yeah. i was i was djing the punk rock show and like i had my my own show like you know it was a it was non-commercial radio, so you couldn't play Pearl Jam. But right. I yeah, that just yeah, anything, man. Uh, any kind of music I was into, like, let me. I was always on a search for like the next coolest thing. Like, oh, like what's this? That and like, give me, give me the next thing. Right. Right. Yeah. It again, like those songs, though. You know, it's been over ten years. It's been about twelve years since I was in, in college doing that. 
but I will still go back to those songs and, and get that, even though I didn't like really care for a lot of that stuff at the time, I was just playing it cause it was the least worst some of it, but mm-hmm. I will go back. I have a playlist that's still on my iTunes and I'll go back and, and be like, wow, this is, I get really good vibes from this cause I don't, yeah. this time period is, has, is long gone. I'm a different person. Yeah. Now than I was back then. I, uh, I went to Athens last year just to kind of hang out and see some friends and eat. They have really good food there. And uh, so I went onto campus and went by the the place where the radio station is now. It's not in the same place it was, but they've moved to a new building. And, like, it's kind of fancy. Like, it's next to a Starbucks. And, like, so I walked in and I was kind of t- talked to the guys there a little bit, like these young guys. And I was like, yeah, you know, I used to DJ here, like – I'm just going to look around for a minute. They're like, oh, do you want to see, like, the archive room? And, like, this this little closet that they've dumped all the CDs and vinyl in. So I'm in there looking around, and I'm looking at the stuff that, like, I reviewed and the stuff that I'd written on. And I'm like, yeah, I, I DJed here from, like, 1999 to 2002. And the guy was like, oh, I wasn't even born then. And I was like, I have to go. <laughs> like, I I have to go now. I'm sorry. <sighs> like, this is too much. Yeah. <clears throat> probably looking at the records that you were reviewing back then they're like oh, is this old yeah yep. oh man when i when i left i took some choice ones with me i was like they're not gonna miss these there was like a couple of job jawbreaker records and all those costello and a couple of yeah. things that i definitely replacements like some stuff i definitely took with me yeah so um what else uh i i feel like uh we got the best of your prime fandom era in there um yeah so like yeah starting in starting in 2013 like i became one of those people who like travels yeah to see them like i I became one of those people that like anytime they come near me like i'm gonna go let me ask you came to charlotte and yeah let me let me ask you when you felt the first time you felt like you were a part of the community because that's something i'm going to bring up when when i talk about this like it's such a Mm -hmm. i think to follow them around is one thing and to go to the shows is 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 one thing but then to feel like you're talking to people that you know you're coming from from georgia and somebody else is like oh i came from tennessee and i came from uh new york and i came from massachusetts when did you was it that charlotte show that you felt like you were a part of something that was bigger that you felt like everybody that was in this was doing it for the same reasons as you. It was definitely the next step in the evolution of that for sure. But I think it started with the internet and the the official website and the forums because you would go on there. Like anytime there was a show, there would be a set list thread. So you would go on and people would be updating in real time. And people know what I'm talking about. It's it's standard oh, procedure yeah. now. The fan views, yeah. But, yeah, but back then, like before Facebook and before Periscope and before all this stuff that we have now, that was the only – that was the best way to find out what the set list was. So you would go – like the day of the show, you would go on the, the forums and you would see, like, what the poster looked like, if someone got to hear the sound check, what they sound checked – and then you would, like, the thread would be going on all day. People posting about, oh, I think they're going to play this. Oh, I bet they're going to do this. Oh, they did this the other night. I bet they're going to do this. So that's when I really got into the live, 
like experience of it, like following the set list every night, like tracking what they were playing, looking at trends. Like I, I didn't have my own notebooks like like some people, but I was definitely looking <laughs> like any night any night there was a show, I would be on that forum refreshing to see what what they are playing song by song so that was kind of the beginning of of that for me okay let's uh you know since we're kind of you know there's there you've been to shows and we've talked about greenville and we've talked about a couple of the other shows that that you've been to yeah so yeah so 20 2016 was big because like i'd been to charlotte in 2013 been to memphis in 2014 so in 2016 again no atlanta show but there were shows scheduled close by so i was like okay cool so i i put in for jacksonville greenville columbia and raleigh so you know at the time you know uh we were waiting to adopt uh so i was like okay well you know that we've been waiting for two years like there's probably no chance that that's going to happen at, at, but I, I know as soon as I put in for these shows, it's going to happen. Sure enough, uh, my son was born in February 2016. So now I have to like balance going to these shows around being a new dad and like my son's two months old and like I have to leave for a day and like go to these shows and then come back. So that was tough. But I had they had announced the Wrigley shows and I had told my wife, I was like, well, you know, we'll just, we'll go and like, we'll go to the shows and then there'll be a day in between. We'll go to Chicago and like, we'll hang out. We'll make like a little vacation of it. She was like, fine. So after we adopted our son, it was like, oh shit, like these tickets are non-transferable. Like you can't just sell them like to sell them i'd have to go there and sell them to somebody right yeah so that was a that was a problem like so we ended up we ended up flying with uh god he was five six months old at the time flying with him up there i ended up going to the show selling in my extra ticket she stayed in the hotel room with the baby and we just took that extra day and we just walked around chicago and did the sightseeing thing so I ended up, I think, changing diapers for a few months after that. And yeah, yep, Mm -hmm. yeah, Uh, Um, yeah. That was that was tough. Um, (laughs) In the long run, yeah. Anyway, you were saying, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was just kind of like, we we've talked about a lot of those shows, and we're gonna talk about the Wrigley shows uh, at a later date, probably this year. But um, let's kind of you know real quick like you know just little little john facts when it comes to your fandom um favorite 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 song of all time is that too generic to say or like we've kind of well, touched up on it but yeah it's right now it's it's in my tree by a hair over corduroy but it goes back and forth between those two Okay. Uh, and then you have, you know, you have your blacks and your hail hails and your yeah. goes and all that stuff that immortalities. I got shit stuff that's right behind it. Uh, favorite live song. Ooh. Uh, given to fly. Okay. Favorite show that you've been to. Is that too easy? Is that Greenville? 
Um, yeah, Charlotte, though, being my first time on the rail and being that close to Ed, like being right up front, those those are, are 1A and 1B. Um, you mentioned before you're collecting in your vinyl. What yeah. do you consider to be your prized possession with vinyl? Oh, probably I have all four of the original no codes with the original Polaroids. That's probably the one that I feel most attached to. And that was pretty recent that you just finished off, right? Yeah, just in the last couple of years, yeah. That's that's pretty impressive. And, and just so everybody knows, what are you missing from your collection? It's not much. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's out there and wants to part with these, please email the show. Um, I'm... I have every exactly. I have every original LP, not the reissues. I have every Christmas single. I have every seven-inch single, except for Jeremy and the Just Breathe. Got some. I have um, every Vault release, uh, both the box sets. I'm only missing Benaroya, Rearview Mirror, and there's a Volcom 7-inch that they did. I think Volcom is like a skateboarding company or a yes. serving company. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But they did a, a one-off 7-inch that has a version of Evenflow Live from 2005 and a version of Porch Live from 2006. I might be switching up the years on that, but... Those for the the Just Breathe Got Some seven inch, the Volcom seven inch, and then Benaroya and Rearview Mirror are the only pieces of Pearl Jam vinyl that I'm missing, according to Discogs. That's a pretty good collection right there, and I've seen it before. It's yeah, it's, very impressive. It's taken some time, but yeah, if you spread it all out, it's it's pretty pretty impressive. And I've got, you know, I've gone back and gotten the Green River stuff and temple of the dog and mother love bone and mad season and the mike watt and all the assorted stuff like sure. brad and you know so it's 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 getting to be uh it's getting to be quite the uh it's an expensive hobby yeah right yeah it is yeah what uh what is your favorite piece of merch that you own uh maybe like what's your favorite poster and what's your favorite shirt or you know actual mm. apparel I'm going to go like the posters are nice. You know, I've, I've gotten, gone back and like the only, the first one I remember was, uh, the Atlanta 2012 one with the robot and the peaches. Like I didn't get it at the beginning cause I, you know, it was a festival. So there was no GA. So I remember just running up to the front, getting as close as I could. But as I was leaving, like, I think they had some and I got one as I was walking out. So that was cool. And then the Charlotte one, you know, ended up being, being pretty pricey so that worked out well but i like all the posters that i have um they're all great that the thing that i'm really that i go back to that really means a lot is the pick that that head through to me in charlotte because you know i was right there screaming along with every song lifting up as 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 much as i could and he ended up throwing me a pick so that that's something cool because it actually like it meant you know, it, it came from him, that he yeah. gave it personally to me. Yeah. Right. 
uh, you have recently got a Pearl Jam tattoo. So why don't you talk about that and uh, what it means to you? Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned um, my wife before. She ended up uh, passing away in, in 2018, which was really tough for me, obviously, like having two little kids. We had we had adopted again after that, and it really kind of broke me as a person. And, like, I don't usually talk about it on the show because it's not about me, but I, I really couldn't listen to music for, like, a long time after that. And you guys started the show – I think in September or October of it that year. It was really close after that because I remember you emailed yeah. us. I'm like, oh, I had heard from Single Podcast Theory that, that this yeah. had happened yeah. right after. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, they I ended up horrible. They ended up one of those guys. I think I had – there was a guy, Carlos, lives in Cuba that had I had contacted through them. And I had sent him some uh, – a bunch of MP3s that I had because like, their internet connection wasn't good or something. So he ended up – uh, friending me on Facebook, and then he ended up seeing the post that I was making about her and uh, sending it along to, to Single Podcast Theory, and they ended up mentioning it. it was very nice. Um, I appreciated it. But, yeah, like, I really just kind of went into a show for, like, a long time and, like, didn't listen to music. Like, I didn't – I probably didn't touch any of my records for a few months after that. But, you know, I was into podcasts. Like, I was listening to podcasts. That that was the thing that, that was helping me. Um get through so um when i finally started listening to music again it took a few months but pearl jam was one of the first things that i was able to start listening to uh and not have it be just too much because like it was something like you said that was it was comforting and like i knew like it felt like home you know so I would go back and like listen to live shows and just put on the records like and then that's when no code really took off for me too like it really went to another level like there's no way that's ever not going to be my favorite record of theirs because it it talks about a lot of that stuff is in there um but yeah like this past year just a few months ago actually I decided to to get a a tattoo and I have uh the line from Light Years where it says, We were but stones, your light made us stars, uh, down my arm. And you know, with a tattoo, like I'd always like wanted to get one. Like I had friends that would do it when I was in school and stuff, like, Yeah, we'll do it for free, come on, but I never felt like it was the right time. But this one felt like like it felt like I was incomplete without it. You know, so I it means a lot to me and I I uh I look at it all the time. And that's that song is like really taken on another another meaning for me like again it was songs like just breathe and like light years and like sirens and stuff that i came back to that i might not have appreciated as much before but yeah it it hit me like pearl jam hits me in a whole different way now than it did before because of that yeah i i can say it until i'm blue in the face but there is a pearl jam song for every type of mood, for every type of uh, thing that you're going through in your life, uh, you can relate to something in their cat in their catalog. Every day you wake up, you can relate to something new, and that's what makes yeah. And them I still, so unique. And I so still special. go back and I still go back and listen to the old stuff, and it it definitely hits me in a different way. Like going back and listening to Indifference, or going back and listening to daughter or you know now that i have a daughter and going back and listening to 
uh, nothing man or, you know, immortality, things like that. Just, it just, it hits you in the face a completely different way when you're 41 as opposed to 17, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, this was, um, a lot of this stuff I knew before, but a lot of this is brand new stuff to me. So, uh, thank you for, you know, just sharing everything. And we, again, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, we don't get a chance to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was cool to, you know, I was sitting down making notes for this today, and I was remembering stuff, like, and, like, I have a bunch of arrows on my thing, like, that goes, I remember that was up here. Like, yeah, I mean, I have, I have, like, this, I grew up with this band, like, I, it's it's tied to my adolescence and my young adulthood and my middle age, and, like, it's it's all right there, like, they've been with me the whole time. So what I think we'll do is, um, since we, you know, we went pretty much the max distance that we wanted to go here we'll uh we'll stop and what we're going to do is we're going to release two episodes at the same time this is going to be the john episode and the other episode that'll be out will be the randy episode so we will provide both at once and you know i I guess some people are going to listen to the John one first and some people listen to the Randy one. So we'll kind of do like a, a side a side B and kind of say, flip the tape over on both of them. But uh, (laughs) if you want to listen to Randy flip to side B and you should listen to this one first. I hope that you all did. I'll try my best to uh, make it apparent or maybe in the Randy episode, I'll say, Everybody go listen to the John episode first because so, it just makes sense chronologically and, you know, uh, time-wise. So uh, we'll do that, and everything will be out at the same time. And, again, just enjoy Gigaton this week. We'll have a lot more going on. We, on our Patreon this week, two big new things. We did another set list draft that we're probably in this moment. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, we're probably – uh fielding votes for what the best set list is and and john is looking to be a two-time champion in this so but be very critical over it because i think that all four sets are very polished and very good so does john deserve to win i don't know i don't want to say i don't i think i think any four of them can win so we shall see in the end but i'm not rooting for john because i want to get back in (laughs) So if if John keeps winning, that yeah, prevents right, me right. from joining back. So that's that's, yeah, that, that, that's our little here. game. Yeah. Yep. So that's on Patreon as well as on Thursday, the Bridge School series. We're continuing it. It's our third Bridge School episode, 1994, Night 2. There's some really cool stuff from that show like Immortality and Not For You. And uh, it's just another fantastic – we can't get enough of the Bridge School stuff. And more of those are coming as, as time goes on here. And obviously, you know, we're, we're bored, nothing to do, we're in hiding. So uh, – that's expect more. So if you like your content and you want more exclusive episodes from us, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs, contribute to our show and our cause. And we, once there's a tour, it all goes into, you know, getting stuff together for the tour, whether it be merch, whether it be stickers and all that. And I know a lot of you have asked for stickers and I will be sending them this week. So expect them very soon. So John, thanks again for telling your story. And, you know, we tell, we tell stories on here all the time, but, uh, it's, it's nice to, it's nice to hear from, 
from you and and really get down deep into your Pearl Jam soul, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, you know, I hope it helps people appreciate the shows and gives it some perspective, you know. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks for making thanks for listening the whole way if you did. Absolutely. So, uh flip over to side B, listen to my story. It's uh way less interesting. It doesn't have self-pollution radio and it doesn't have you know, Atlanta 94, but I'll, I'll find a way to make it work, I suppose. But, uh, uh, hope to see you over there. And again, lots of stuff happening this week. So miss you already. Miss you always flip the tape over and we'll talk to you soon. Atlanta 2020.